you have your notes that you picked up. Children, I want to alert you something. I've got something at the end of your notes that I'm going to start with at the top. So that just a clue. Uh, if you like stories, true stories, you're going to love what we're going to do today. You're going to love it. I want to tell you a story. Kids, listen carefully to this. Parents, listen carefully to this. I want you to be able to retell this story. And it isn't in the scriptures, but it's a true story. It's about an African, a Maasai warrior. His name is Joseph. read about it in a book John Piper wrote about missions, but that's not the first time the story was told. Joseph told this story about himself uh, years before. Joseph, walking down dirty roads, the heat of Africa shining down on him, wishing his trip was over, meets someone coming toward him. And that someone coming toward him is unique, but he doesn't know it. He's a Christian. They stop to talk on the road together. And this Maasai warrior hears the gospel for the very first time, and God causes the testimony of the gospel from one human being to another to bear fruit on the spot in the life of this Maasai warrior. And God saved him that day on that road. As he got to his home, and as he began to just live his life, the God began to cause what had begun and birthed in him to grow. And along with that came a joy that he had not had before. So much so that he began to say to himself, I have got to tell my family that lives in this village. They have to know what that man on the road told me. So he begins to go from hut to hut, expecting that what would, be, what would happen would be the same thing that happened when the gospel came into his own heart, but it wasn't like that. The men of the village were angry as he went from house to house proclaiming the gospel, telling about this man, this Maasai warrior, telling about his own sin and how he became aware of it and how he became aware of a Savior and the cross of Jesus Christ and how he was saved from his sin. And the men grabbed him and held him down, and the women of the village grabbed pieces of barbed wire and began to beat him. And they did this for quite some time, and when they thought he was good and beat up, they dragged him out of the village to the bush and left him there. They were sure he would die. But sometime in the next day or so, this Maasai warrior didn't die. He found a nearby pond, and he rolled into it, and it refreshed him enough that he lived. And as he was going back home, he, he, was, he was perplexed. He thought, wait a minute, what happened? I must have left something out. I, I must have gotten something in this gospel wrong, or they wouldn't have responded that way. They would have responded the way I did when I heard it. And as he's thinking it through, he goes over it piece by piece. And, no, I said that, I said that, I said that, I said that. I got it right. I have to go back again. So he goes back to his village. And he picks up and he starts going on the doors he hadn't knocked on already. And he began. But the same result. The men are angry. They grab him. They beat him. They hold him down so the women of the village can beat him again. Now, his wounds from the first beating are just beginning to heal and these are ripped open again and they take him outside into the bush and think, there, that'll take care of that. We're done with him. But they weren't done with him. He didn't die. And he comes back to his village a third time. Now, you know, once living through it would be something. Twice is virtually a miracle. The third time, you'd say, well, hey, 
That's got to be foolish, isn't it? Goes back. This time they don't even let him in the village. They see him coming. They say, we're, we're not going to put up with this guy again. And so the men run out, grab him. The women bring their barbed wire and beat him again. And only this time, as he's laying there being bitten by, beaten by the women, he is he's trying to tell them about the Savior who forgave his sins, the cross of Jesus Christ, and how if they would just trust in him. And the last thing he remembers before he passes into unconsciousness is this woman who's beating him begins to weep. And when he wakes up, instead of being out in the bush, he's in a bed. And these people who were beating him are caring for him. And he finds out that every single person in the village received Christ as Savior. True story. Every single one. Hey, are you there? Yes. Amen. Amen. You know, you, know, you say... Frank, why do you tell a story like that? Well, number one, it's a true story. Number two, we need to be encouraged by it. Number three, this is the very heart of the passage we're going to look at in Luke 12 this morning. Take your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 12, verse 35. You'll recognize it as we go through. Two more stories now, only Jesus is telling them. They're parable-like stories. They're stories that are designed to communicate a particular point. Now, it's been a while. We went through the first two hunks of Luke 12 earlier, about a month ago. I expect that you remember every bit of it. (laughs) I guess not. Okay, that's all right. There will be enough of it in this passage. Jesus is a good teacher. But for those of you who wonder, what's the message of the book of Luke? Well, we get it particularly at the beginning and the end, but at, at the end, there's something. And I don't, you don't need to turn there. Just listen. It says that the disciples who had been walking with Jesus all through His ministry didn't understand. But there came a time near the end of His ministry, near the cross, where He opened, in fact, after the cross, and He opened their eyes so that they would be able to understand the Scriptures understand this about the Scriptures. That Jesus died, was buried, and rose again for a reason. So that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in His name. And then He said to those disciples, you guys are witnesses of what I've just said. It's happened to you. And now I'm going to entrust this to you. All right, Luke 12, verse 35. Let me read 35 to 40. Be dressed in readiness. These are the words of Jesus. Keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the Master will find on the alert when He comes. Truly I say to you, now listen to this, truly I say to you, this is what Jesus said, He will gird Himself to serve and to have them recline at table and He will come up and wait on them. Whether He comes in the second watch or even the third and finds them so blessed are those slaves. But be sure of this, If the head of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. Here comes the punchline. Here comes the point. Verse 40, You too be ready, disciples. You be ready. Because the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect. Do you expect Him to come this morning? Probably not. Okay. Okay. He might, huh? At least it meets that particular point of qualification, right? What what an amazing thing. I love this story. Look at the images that Jesus uses, that He uses to create 
this idea of readiness. Of readiness in the minds of the disciples. In verse 35, he talks about be dressed in readiness. Now, you know, if, if you were awakened in the middle of the night by God and saying, I've got a mission for you, get out of bed right now and go do it. Some of you would need to put some clothes on. Right? You need to say, well, jammies are not good for this. Right? I think I've... He's saying to his disciples, you always be dressed and ready. You always have your lights lit. You're, you're bright lights in a dark world 24-7. And then he says, just so that they don't miss it, whether it's in the second watch or the third, whether it's from 9 to midnight, by the way, if, I'm at your, if you're at my house at 9... At 9.01, you're there alone. No, Lee will be awake still. But I'll go to bed. 9 o'clock is it for me. You know, it didn't used to be, but it is now. Between 9 and midnight, second watch. Third watch, midnight to, to, to 3 a.m. What's his point? 24-7. You be ready. You be ready to be an effective part of the triumph of God in the world, disciples. That's what he's saying. You know, then he's got this thing he throws in there at, at, at verse 39. And now he switches from the servants to a master of a house. You see what he says? But be sure of this, if the head of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. Huh. It's not the, just the servants that need to be ready. The masters of the house, the head of the house need to be ready. How ready? Well, if the head of the house knew what time the thief was coming, he would not. He'd be there. He'd be there to prevent him breaking in. That's how ready. Constantly ready. Constantly dressed. Constantly bright lights. Operating on the basis of the knowledge that we have. What's the teaching point? Well, it's primarily, though not only, but primarily to the disciples. You too be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you don't expect. And He's coming and He's going to say, What are you doing, my servants? Are you doing my will? i got to confess, it was hard to study. It was hard to, to get ready to preach this passage. Because in this guy, there is less than what Jesus is talking about. In this guy, there is less readiness than this. What readiness is he talking about? Ready to do what? Two things. In the first two sermons, in this passage, the first two things. Look at verse 6, and eight, six, six through 8. No, I'm sorry, 8 and 9. Verses 8 and 9. Luke 12, 8 and 9. Two things. The first one is, beware the... Yeah, why can't I see that? Beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Look at verse 8 and 9. I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men... The Son of Man will confess Him before the angels of God, but he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. What does he mean, hypocrisy? It's to come to church on Sunday. It's to be following Him around. Those known as those who follow Him around, but when it comes to confessing who He is, they're silent. You see, what does it mean to confess Jesus? To confess Jesus, I have to confess who I am. And who am I? I'm a sinner. I don't want to confess that. You go around telling your, your, your neighbors, your co-workers, your, you know what? I'm a sinner. If you're going to confess Jesus, you have to confess that. And that He is the Savior. Second thing was greed. No greed. Beware of every form of greed. Look at, look at verses 32 and 33. These are the two things they need to be ready to do. No hypocrisy. Confess me. Secondly, 
Beware of greed. 32 and 3. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. And if you believe that, disciples, then here's what you'll do. Sell your possessions. Give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out here on this earth. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief and no moth comes to destroy. What is he talking about? You're a, you're a free-flowing conduit of the grace of God, of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's constantly warming the cockles of your heart so that when you run into somebody who needs it, maybe you're on the road in Africa and it's the Maasai warrior coming down the road. And you say, I'm not going to let this guy get by me without talking to him. Hey, wait a minute, he's a Maasai warrior. That's okay. God will protect me. You're the message, your time, your availability, your money, your life. Think of that Maasai warrior. Think of him. He's a man who once the gospel had invaded his life, once God had begun to change him, fill him with joy, he said, I've got to be ready all the time to confess Jesus Christ to the people in my village. Probably his family, his extended family. No matter what it costs me. No matter what it costs me. And we see that in, his, in the way he, he was faithful steward of the gospel. Dear ones, I want you to bow your head with me and let's just ask God to bless this Word this morning. To change us with it. Father, Father, thank You that just like the Maasai warrior, Your Gospel has invaded us. You have changed us. You have given us that which we did not deserve. And now I pray that as we ponder the thoughts of Jesus Christ as He talks with His disciples and with the multitude, that those words will flood in and impact on us. Not only to change the way we think, but empower us to do all that You have called us to do. In Jesus' name, Amen. Before we move on to the second point, I want you to look at verse 37. Look at verse 37. In this story about faithful slaves waiting for their master to come, blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird, the master will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. Great promise. I want you to remember that promise. We're going to connect this to something later in the passage. Okay, we're going to connect this. We're going to see this lived out later in the passage. Be ready. Dear ones, I'll save the application for the end, but I can't resist. Are you ready now? Are you ready now to be faithful with the Gospel? I guess our answer would be, yes, but not as ready as I need to be. All right. Father, work in us. Work in us. Use Your Word. All right, look at verse 41. Be ready to do the Master's will. That's the name of this point. Peter, good old Peter. (laughs) Don't you love Peter? I sometimes wish I was Peter. Not always, though. Peter said, Lord, are You addressing this parable to us or to everyone else as well? Now, like Jesus always does, or almost always does, He doesn't answer the question with a yes or no. He answers often asked with another question or another parable or something. He's got an answer. You know, but Peter's question is an interesting one. He's just heard this very convicting story and application to life about readiness. And he says, Jesus, is this for us or for them? You know, 
maybe, just maybe, there's some, Peter's question has some idea of, maybe there's a way out of this. Maybe we don't have to do this quite this way, quite this much. Maybe he's talking about them being like this. Now, it is for the disciples and for the multitude too. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 42. And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time? Well, what kind of an answer to that? Answer to the question, Is this for us or for us and them? Well, Jesus' answer comes in the form of a question. He says, I'm addressing all who want to be faithful and sensible stewards. Disciples. He's going to talk to the crowd later. In fact, in verse 54, we see Him turn and address the crowd in verse 54. I think the primary emphasis here is the disciples. And then to the crowd in verse 54. Alright, so he's got a story to tell. Verse 43. Let me read 43 through 50. Blessed is the slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. By the way, there's another promise. 44. Another promise. We'll make connect to that later. But if that slave says in his heart, my master will be long in coming and begins to beat the slaves instead of care for them, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk and party, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with With who? The unbelievers. And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will will receive many lashes. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. For everyone who has been given much, much will be required unto him and to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. Wow. Well, close your Bibles. I don't know the answers to those questions. No, I'm just kidding. What is Jesus saying to Peter? I'm addressing all disciples who want to be faithful stewards. What are they like? How does he describe them? Verse 43, they're found doing what the Master gave them to do. When he comes. Verse 45. They don't say, well, I don't think he's coming today. Or or at least be later today. Let's have a party until then. They don't say that. Verse 46. They do the Master's will in expected times of return and in unexpected times of return. Verses 47 and 48. Look at those again. And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will will receive many lashes. Alright, that's one slave. Here comes another one. But the one who did not know it, the master's will, and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. But but few what? Lashes. So here's the picture. Two slaves. One knows the master's will. One doesn't. Both fail. Neither one does the Master's will. Now, what does our culture say? Ignorance is bliss. Right? If you don't know, you're not responsible. Somehow I don't get that out of this passage, whatever else you get out of this passage. Right? Ignorance, you can't say, I didn't know. You know, my thoughts run back to Joseph, the Maasai warrior. Remember after the first time he gets beaten for proclaiming the gospel and he goes back and says, did I get it wrong? Did I leave something out? He goes over it again. No, I didn't. And he goes back. 
the, the big picture logic, the point of this parable is this, I think. You can ponder it yourself. If men, if human masters can expect their slaves to be faithful stewards and care for the possessions he encharges, he entrusts to them while he's gone, so that when it comes when he comes back, he sees that that's what they've been. Then how much more does the Son of Man call his disciples to be faithful stewards with the most valuable possession of all, the gospel, and his triumph in the world through it? Now let's look at the bottom line once more. The end of verse 48, the second part of verse 48. Here's the bottom line of Jesus' parable to his disciples, I believe. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. Dear ones, let that sink in. See, imagine the disciples hearing that. Imagine the disciples. Have they been given much? Have they? Yes. And to whom they entrusted much, of him they will ask all the more. (laughs) We expect something else. To whom has been given much? Much will be required, but to whom has not been given much? He doesn't say that. See, that's not the choices. If God has revealed Himself to us, we've been given much. I think the point is this. The more the Savior gives them, the more He requires of them. The more He reveals Himself to them, the more He requires of them. Well, what had He given them? What had Jesus personally brought to them and taught them? Well, we've gone over it once. But dear ones, this is a problem for us. It was a problem for the disciples. It was a problem for the multitude. But it still is a problem for the church of Jesus Christ today. Somebody in the prayer meeting before church said, let's pray for the church today. This would be a way to pray for the church today. This would be to pray for ourselves. Here's what he did. He said, beware of hypocrisy. Confess me before men. Be dressed in readiness. Have your light shining and be ready. Can you imagine this? Imagine that around me, I'm in the center of the circle, and around me are all the people who know me. They're all the people I meet with regularly. They're the people in my family. They're my neighbors. They're, They're my co-workers. They're, they're the people that are just in my sphere of influence week after week, day after day. Confess Jesus Christ to every one of them. Years ago, I had a friend of mine come to me and say, you know what, we have a common friend. We know the same person. And I just found out this week. And we talked about you. And, and the person said, oh, you're telling me he's a pastor? I didn't know he was a Christian. I didn't know he was a Christian. I, I see him quite regularly. He's never mentioned anything to me. I'll tell you what, that was a dagger. Sorry. That was a dagger. Could that be said? of the disciples. Did the disciples have people in their circles around them? Sure. Beware of greed. Like this. If you have to give something for the sake of the gospel, trust Him to replace what you give according to His will. Be ready to serve constantly in these two ways, confessing Him and giving whatever is needed for the sake of the triumph of the, of the gospel in the world. Now here comes a Really surprising thing. You know, you talk about looking for surprises in scriptures. Here it comes. This is the biggie. If this is a symbol crash, this would be the symbols would be it'd be a gong. You know, as difficult as the previous question was, this one is this is tough. Look at verse forty nine. I have come. Now who's speaking now? Who's speaking now? Jesus is. I have come to cast fire upon the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. 
See, now we're going to look and see what he's talking about here in a minute. But Jesus, by saying, I have come. See, these parables that we've just seen up to now is the Master is coming and when He comes, He's looking to see how His servants have been living in light of the Gospel. How good of stewards they've been. Now He says, I'm coming. I'm coming. He identifies Himself with both Masters in both parables. The parables apply to Him and His servants and the Gospel and the triumph of God in the world. I've come to cast fire upon the earth. What does he mean by that? We're going to see that in a minute. How I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo. And how distressed I am until it will be accomplished. And then here's this penetrating question to the disciples. Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you no. I tell you no, but division. For from now on, five members in one house will be divided, three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. What's Jesus describing here? What is this? Well, there's a number of things. These aren't in order of importance, but they're here. Number one, he's saying, I am the master in these parables. Apply them to me. Apply you, that puts you, us in the position of the servants. The fa- those who desire to be faithful stewards. I am the master in these parables. Secondly, he ad- identifies himself as the only faithful steward. He is a faithful steward, but the only one. He's come to do his Father's will, and he can't wait until it's accomplished. There's an urgency of heart and mind about this sacrifice that He is about to make for the sake of the kingdom. I can't wait. I'm distressed until it's accomplished. What is the fire? What is the baptism He's talking about? Now, it's difficult, but hang with me, okay? Hang with me. I think you'll see it when I get through this, this, this uh, laying this out. Hang with me. I think when he's talking about this fire and this baptism, he's focusing on the cross and what's going to happen there. And there's more than one thing happening there. Let me tell you in advance and then show you why I think it. And then we can talk about it afterwards. I think when he says he wants to ca- he's come to cast fire, he's talking about judgment. That in the cross, when Jesus died on the cross, there was judgment in there. I'll show you how in a minute. And there's a baptism, a redemptive baptism. He's going to be immersed in this cross. There's a redemptive, there's judgment and redemption. The judgment and redemption are both seen in the death of Jesus. Here I want to show you. Turn to chapter 23. Turn to 23. Chapter 23, next to the last chapter in Luke. 23.39 One of the criminals, you there? 23.39, you have to see this. One of the criminals who were hanged there was, look at what it says. Not what he said, but look, what's was hurling abuse at Jesus. Now look at what he said. See, one of them was abusive in his speech to Jesus. And so the tone of his words, Are you not the Christ? Get us off of here. If you are, I don't think you are. But the other answered and said of him, Do you not even fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. What do we see? We see Jesus on the cross, and we see on either side judgment, redemption, 
Look at verse 42. He was saying, the one on, who had just rebuked, the one who had spoken abusively to Jesus, Jesus, remember me. Jesus, remember me. Do you remember a time when you said something like that to Jesus? Jesus, remember me. In this same picture on the cross, on either side, there's judgment and redemption. It's a two-sided coin. Think about the judgment side. It's not at what it appears at first blush. It's not just judgment being poured out. When you look at Jesus, you see the judgment of God being poured out on Him. Right? The sins of all God's people are poured out on Jesus and at that moment, the Father decides to pour out His wrath for sin. Aren't you glad He did? What a merciful judgment that was. That's one side of the coin. What's the other side of the coin? Those who reject Jesus and His sacrifice bring righteous judgment upon themselves. You see, the judgment for our sin is either on Jesus or it's on us. Where are you this morning? See, that's what he meant by there will be division. There will be division in a household. Jesus has a sense of urgency and a readiness to do this kingdom establishing, kingdom uh, triumphant work of dying. He is dressed and ready. And he says, disciples, I want you to be dressed and ready for the jet task I give you. Jesus' death is going to settle all accounts of all sinners who are his. Now, think of that. Think of that, that thief who said, we're just getting what we deserve. He's not guilty of anything. When he died, when that thief died that day, he died with a clean slate. Jesus had taken care of all his sin. It was covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. All accounts were settled. And how did they get settled? By the work of Jesus Christ plus nothing. But this death of Jesus Christ is going to divide families. It was already dividing a family of criminals. One abusive, one calling out for in repentance. The cross will divide, even families. Maybe that's true. Maybe you've seen that be true even in your family, here. One hurling abuse at Jesus. The other, remember me when you come into his kingdom. Now, Remember those two things, those two promises, 37 and 43 and 44? I don't have time to do that, to tell you. No, I'll do that anyway. And we'll just, I've got five more minutes because I started five minutes late. Okay. What did you look at, at verse 37, back in Luke 12, 37? What did he say there? He said, Blessed are those slaves whom the Master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and come up and wait on them. Dear ones, when you look at the cross, that's what you see Jesus doing. He is serving us. Is he? Huh? That's what he's doing. He's serving us. 43 and 44. Blessed is the slave whom his master finds doing so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. What did Jesus do? What was Jesus going to do with the gospel and its triumph in the world? He was going to give it to his disciples and say, now go into all the world and preach the gospel. Establish churches. Teach them what I taught you. Baptize them. He was going to give them his most precious possession the gospel. Those promises, dear ones, have been fulfilled, are being fulfilled, will be fulfilled. One last thing, and with this we'll pull it together. Be ready to settle all accounts 
with men just as Jesus has for you. Look at verse 54. And he was saying to the crowds. Now he shifted from the disciples to the crowds. Now the crowds were, the crowds, many of the crowd were hearing all this other stuff. He was talking to the disciples. When, here's what he's saying to the crowds. When you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, a shower's coming, it's going to rain. And when you see a south wind blowing, you say, it's going to be a hot day. And it turns out that way. Now, you, you might think he'd say, you're smart. But that's not what he says. What does he say? What's the next two words? You hypocrites. You hypocrites. You can figure out so many things. But why do you not analyze this present time? Why, don't you, why can't you figure out who I am? What I'm saying? What I'm saying to you? For while you are going with your opponent to appear before the magistrate on your way there, make an effort to settle with him so that he may not drag you to the judge and the judge turn you over to the officer and the officer throw you into prison. I say to you, you won't get out of there until you've paid the very last cent. Alright, what's going on here? Well, I think, I think, and you could think something else. When he's describing their hypocrisy, and when he asked this question in 57, and why do you not even on your own initiative judge what's right? And then he starts talking about a settlement getting made in the court. I think he's gone back to verse 13. Now, I don't know if you need to turn the page in your Bible. Go back to 12, 13. Do you remember what was happening when Jesus had just got done talking about hypocrisy? Some guy in the crowd raised his hand Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Jesus has just gone back to that point. Now what he's going to say is about that. What he's going to say is about that. See, the crowd, what can the crowd do well? They can look at the clouds, they can look at the wind, and they can figure out what the weather's going to be. What aren't they doing well? They can't look at Jesus and figure out on their own initiative what is the right thing to do in light of the gospel that they have heard him preach. Everybody, whether disciple or crowd or part of the multitude, has heard enough of what Jesus has said to know what is right. If they can figure out the cloud and the wind, they should be, Jesus says, able to figure out who he is based upon what he has said. What's involved? Think back about what this guy said. Jesus, tell my brother to share the, inherit, the family inheritance with me. What's, what was he saying? My brother is going to take the whole thing. That's not right. I want my share. Tell him to give me my share. Dear ones, in light of what Jesus has taught the disciples about hypocrisy and greed, what, what would, what kind of settlement, if this guy gets it, what kind of settlement should he make? What settlement of the inheritance question would testify to men most clearly that his most precious possession is Jesus and being a part of the triumph of God in the world. What decision would it be? What would make the, the greatest impression on his brother? Well, what would it be? What would it be? What if he said to his brother, you take it all. You take it all. It's okay. I love you. You're my brother. I'm just glad that I can give this up for your sake. Jesus gave everything for me. The least I can do is give this to you and just yield whatever even would be right. What about greed? What settlement could he make in the inheritance question that would demonstrate most clearly to men that he trusts God to replace that which he might lose in a settlement like that? Hmm. 
What did Jesus do? Jesus settled all our debt of sin. How? Mercifully taking the penalty on himself. In your bulletin is a little card like this. Take it out as we close. On one side it says, be ready constantly. That's what I want you to look at. See, before we look at that, when Jesus comes, he says, be dressed in readiness for the Son of Man is coming when you don't expect. When I come again, what will I find you doing? That's the question to the disciples. That's the question to us. To live a life with no hypocrisy, what would readiness in life sound like in daily conversation? If some, here's, one, here's one example. If someone is... You got it? If someone is... Now, don't listen to the baby. You listen to me, okay? That's a tough challenge, but I want you to do it, okay? If someone is talking to you complaining about the failures of others and the ways they have been hurt by them. You ever have anybody talk to you like that? You have anybody bend your ear about how they have not been treated right by someone else? You could respond this way. I'm ashamed to say, I've done worse things than that. I've done worse things than that. I've, I've kept what I should not have kept. May I tell you what I did after I failed so badly, just like that guy you just told me about? Can I tell you what I did? Here's what I did. I was reading my Bible, and it said that Jesus opened the minds of his disciples so that they could understand what he was saying to them. And he told them that he was going to suffer and die and rise again three days later. He told them that. He, he did that for one purpose so that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to every person in every place. Now after I read that, it was like he opened my mind too. And I understood that repentance for the forgiveness of sins was available to me in Christ. And I prayed. And I told God what I had done. And I repented of my sin against Him. And I got to tell you, He forgave me. Now, I too am a witness, like those disciples were, that this kind of thing is happening today. Now, dear ones, maybe you'd say, well, that may be all right for you, Frank, but I don't think I could do that. Then turn it over. Turn that card over. I understand. I've been there. You remember two weeks ago, or a month ago, we looked at this prayer of William Carey. And we're going to close with this. I want you to look at this. And I'm going to pray it as a prayer. And I'm going to stop in two two places. And I want you to think about it. Personalize it. Here's what William Carey prayed. Oh Lord Jesus, I am by nature a rebel and find more pleasure in what you made than in you. I'm sick and corrupt. Oh Christ, how plain it is to me now that I need something so much deeper, more powerful, more personal than my own fleshy efforts to keep the law. Help me turn away from all earthly pleasures and cling to you alone as the all-satisfying joy of my life. Now I'm going to stop there. Just for a moment. Whatever in there you need to pray, do it. I'm going to be quiet for a moment. O Lord, O Lord, I pray that you would have mercy on me and open the eyes of my heart to see you as you really are in all your surpassing glory and triumph in the world. May I love and embrace you as my King who has lovingly called me to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. I'm going to stop there. If there's anything in there you need to talk to God about, go ahead. It's hard for me to get by. (laughs) I pray that you would have mercy on me. 
It's hard for me to get by that. Is it hard for you to get by that? Have mercy on me. Open my eyes to see you as you really are. To hear your word as it really is. Last hunk, sorry. What I see and know of you now, I embrace with all my heart. I receive you as my Savior, my Lord, my treasure. I ask you to dwell mightily in me and make yourself the victor in my life so that the glory will go to you. Now one last time, if there's anything in there that you need to say from your heart to His, do that right now. An African Maasai warrior who had just newly heard the gospel was so filled with joy, he said, I have to confess Jesus to my tribe. And he did it again and again and again. Father, I ask that you'd overcome the fear of our hearts with the joy of the cross. Overcome the fear of our hearts with the joy of the cross. Father, help us to see that you have given us much, that you're in us, and you will enable us to be a faithful steward with it. Father, we pray for the times that those around us, in hearing that gospel, that even though the first or second or third time they heard it, they were hard. We pray for the time that tears will come down their cheeks. And we'll see that you've been as merciful to them as you've been to us. And all God's people said, Amen.